Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of February 28th through March 1st, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So the topic for this week's box office concept came from the fact that My Hero Academia uh, Heroes Rising, that anime film, um, broke into the top five for this week. And it turns out, checking in with my box office podcasts and subreddits, that the overlap between people who are either informed or interested in the North in uh, the anime box office and when it comes to North America, that overlap isn't you know uh, as large as I'd like it to be. So I'm going to use my box office concept segment this week uh, to explain you know the metrics of success for anime films in general um, here in the states uh, as well as kind of uh, abroad. Um, to get through that though, I'll need to talk a little bit about the an- background of anime television production. I swear it's relevant to film. Uh, the film box office. Um, before that, I hop in. Unfortunately, the site I use for my box office numbers, thenumbers.com, uh, does not yet have a good way of looking up rankings of anime films in the ca- as a category. And the site I used before, Box Office Mojo, took away access to those pages when they did the redesign. So the numbers I'm going to be using uh, in this uh, segment come from Wikipedia articles, which I trust for the most part, but um, you know, take it take it with a grain of salt if, that, if, if you're worried about that. Uh, in any case... So, for those of you who don't know much about the anime television industry, um, you know there's something you know over 300 anime t- television shows are produced um, a year. A year. Um, there are you know it's been going back to the turn of the 20th century. Um, you know, obviously in the 60s there was Astro Boy, Speed Racer, and then um, you know uh, Miyazaki started coming out with stuff in the late 80s um, in terms of anime films, as well as around the time you know more serious stuff like Akira was coming out and Vangelion. Um, and in the 90s you had more kid-friendly start stuff start coming out, you know, with Pokemon and Digimon and so on, as well as you know moving over to the states with Toonami, um, you know, with Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, um, you know, and kind of you know. Uh, and one of the biggest trends in the most recent years, as is the case for most of the movie industry, is the rise of the streaming services, uh, predominantly Crunchyroll um, uh, and Funimation. Um, now remember the name Funimation, we'll come back to them later. Um, but in any case, um, a significant portion of those television anime um, are actually adaptations of a pre-existing creative work out there. Um, usually it might be a manga, uh, which is the term for the comic book Um uh, that's usually released in a weekly serialized or maybe a monthly compilation series um, or a light novel. Um, you know, Crunchyroll, uh, the streaming service I just mentioned, recently announced that they're going to be adapting, helping adapt Korean webtoons into anime. So, you know, while original anime concepts, you know, that don't come from pre-existing source do exist out there, they're less common than the adapted stuff. So, you know, a lot of this comes from the way that anime is funded. Um, I believe the cost for production is, you know, a couple million dollars for, you know, a season, about 12 episodes of anime. Um, and, you know, instead of a single company footing that bill entirely um, and making that decision on what to make, what not to make, um, you know, production committees of multiple companies come together to fund an anime and to get some financial benefit. So it's not, you know, like here in the States, Fox or ABC decides, oh, what will hit the best demographic and this time slot, um, that's the kind of so that we're going to, you know, get put, like produced and get made. Um and, you know, this doesn't only happen with anime, it also applies to other projects in Japan, such as live action television. 
part of the rationale for this came from you know the idea of risk management and insurance. Now, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't be the one to fund everything. You get a portion of the proceeds. And the other part is you know specialization. The companies that are funding these are come from different industries. You may have say the publishing company where the mag- where the manga or the intellectual property came from. Uh, for example, this might be Suicide, the company that owns Weekly Sword and Jump. The magazine where Naruto, Dragon Ball, One Piece, and My Hero Academia came from. Um, record companies such as Sony. Um, can benefit by having one of their musicians that have signed to them, providing the opening and ending and insert songs for the anime. Um, they can release those as singles. Uh, toy companies, such as you know the company that makes the, the plastic models for Gundam, um, obviously they're going to get you know revenue um, if they're so successful. Um, you know of the models or you know if you have figu- char- character figurines and so on. Um, um, you know, if there's a, you maybe make make a video game adaptation, or if it was a manga, you make a novelization. Companies can you know help fund those, um, and you know even the television companies. The way that television works in Japan is that um, they need to fill their their time slots, and they peep, uh, programs and 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 uh, companies buy those those slots to put the shows on um, so this is a way that television companies get in there to help make sure that all of those slots are sold as well as advertising companies um, you know are able to make sure that you know the ads for their companies are uh, shown, shown on the um, shown on air um, you know other other companies on the production committee include um the the anime studio that's actually producing the anime and you know in recent years we've had streaming companies like netflix and country roll joining these production companies helping decide what gets made so you know um not everyone contributes the same amount of revenue uh, or amount of capital to get this made they um you know it depends on what their potential revenue outcome is based on their specialization um and uh, you know, some again, I, some of these have fairly obvious uh, routes to make their investment bank. I mentioned the video game developers, toy production companies, um, music companies, and so on. Streaming companies like Crunchyroll, they're going to get their revenue through, um, and hopefully, an, from them, an increase in the number of uh, subscribers who are paying the monthly subscription fee to their service. Um, and you know, television companies are able to make sure that their late night um, slots that may not have you know uh, general audience um, content there, they're able to get those filled in. Um, but you know, for me, the, I think the most relevant one are for these adaptation ones, the owner of the IP, the publishing companies for the manga and the light novels. They hope to see an increase in the original in the sales because they sell you know every quarter they release a new volume compiling you know the 13 chapters that came out in that quarter of the manga um or you know all the chapters that came out the newest chapters that came out for the light novel so you know a tangible example of this um let's look at the anime demon slayer this is one of sonin jump's relatively newer anime it started you know in uh in i believe 2016 um and it had an adaptation that that started an anime adaptation in 2019 that became immensely popular. Um, after this anime, it actually took away the number one slot for total volume sold in a given year in 2019, which sold 12 million volumes. Um, this is a huge upset because it surpassed the annual volume sales of One Piece, uh, which sold 10 million. For context, One Piece, which has been going on since 1997 has been the perennial number one seller for going on 10 years and is the best-selling manga of all time with 460 total million volumes sold. It's only 15 million volumes away from overtaking Batman as the second most sold comic book series in history behind Superman. 
Um, so, you know, with about 10 million a year, you know, give it two or three years, we're going to get there with one piece. So if you look, however, if you look deeper at the volume sales, it's not that um, per volume, uh, you know, Demon Slayer was outselling One Piece. Um, for the most recent four chapters, One Piece sold 8.5 million, um, and Demon Slayer only sold 3.4 million. The remaining, you know, 8, 8.5, 8.6 million volumes that Demon Slayer sold this year were from back volumes. They were from the, you know, for the first three years worth of volumes. Um, from new fans who came in after the anime and becoming a fan of the series through that, and they wanted to read the manga. Um, so, you know, this was the best-case scenario for a publisher, Suesai. Um, and so it's not really a surprise that, you know, after the anime completed, they announced that they were going to release a Demon Slayer movie coming out in Japan later this year to keep up the popularity. Another example is, um, I believe it was the 2017-2018 anime uh, Gotobu no Hanayome, or Quintessential Quintuplets. Um, the volume sales there for the first two weeks of, you know, when the volume came out in the first two weeks, about 80k total uh, total sales for any given volume. But when volume 8 came out, that was after the anime had started airing. And that volume had 200,000 copies sold in the first two weeks after release. So you can definitely see the value that a good anime adaptation has on the volume, uh, sales, sales volume of the original, you know, property. Of course, you know, there's some interesting repercussions of this. You know, if the manga uh, and the original property ends before the anime can tell its complete story, uh, sometimes unless the anime is really successful in its own right through merchandising or media sales, more than in a second, uh, you'll get anime that don't actually complete the source material. Or if the production committee or the biggest investors, again, usually the um, usually the publishing company, doesn't see that they're getting their return on investment by an increased sale in the manga volumes. You know, if you were hoping for a sequel, you may not end up getting a, a continuation of the anime just because they're not making their money back through the anime. So, you know, before we segue into the uh, film box office in general, also um, one thing, you know, I promise we'll get there. One thing to note is that, um, you know, there are television anime that don't have uh, an adaptation and, you know, they're, um, they're based on the original works. Um, and these rely a lot more on DVD or Blu-ray disc sales. Often, I'm going to call these BD sales. So, you know, a volume of a manga is about $5 US. Um, and a disc of anime, however, may be closer to $50. And it only has two episodes on there. So, you know, for a series that's 12 episodes long, that's going to cost about $300 to own the entire series. Uh, not as tenable for the general audience. Uh, it's really caters more toward that otaku fanatic um, that niche audience who who kind of almost the whales. They're going to really um, spend spend the most money. Like the top two percent are going to spend the most money on on any given property. Um, and so you know, for these shows that you know they may not have general appeal because um, you know they either have content they're too violent or maybe they have you know some more mature themes um, in the in the shows. They're not going to get the general time slot. They're not going to be able to afford that. Um, so you know they rely more on you know these high these. If they're going to have lower ratings, they're going to have fewer people viewing. They need those fewer people to be spending more money, you know, on the anime through these higher BD sales. Um, and sometimes the BD sales, you know, they'll have collectibles bundled in, or you know, maybe there'll be higher quality or uncensored animation that wasn't aired during broadcast. Um, so just to note, you know, BD sales, especially for uh, original uh, series that don't have an adaptation, that's a, that's more important as well. Um, though obviously not the the whole picture, obviously. Um, so you know, 
again, that kind of just illustrates that depending on the nature of the anime, um, if it's an original work, you know, something like me, in, in, in the film sense, it would be something like Miyazaki or a Makoto Shinkai or Mamoru Hosoda film, you know, those auteur films, those are going to rely more on people who have, um, are willing to spend more money on home media, uh, the more expensive home media, and then, you know, those that have more widespread general appeal, especially those based on an already popular adaptation, those are going to be more, more on, you know, manga sales. And heck, you know, there are anime based directly on video games, especially mobile games in recent years. They want to see new downloads for their games. And if you're a Gundam, so you're going to want to sell more, t- more toys. So the benchmarks for what exactly makes a film successful really depends on the fan size and that's being adapted or if it's an original series. And that brings us to films. So, you know, for an anime like Demon Slayer, you know, um, I, or, you know, let's talk about My Hero Academia. That's the one that that's, that came out this week. Um, it's an adaptation of a very popular Shonen Jump manga. It's the fourth most by sales. It's been running, you know, about six years since 2014. And, you know, it's on its uh, fourth season of anime. Um, it's coming out bursts of about 24 episodes at a time with a couple seasons in between. So, you know. Like any TV, like any other TV, so it serves as a form of advertising, really, for the manga sales. Um, and you know, uh, and if they're going, if you want to make sure that these, you know, very lucrative properties beyond just the TV anime um, gets into public consciousness, you know, movies are just another way to keep them in in top of mind. So you know, just some historical examples: when the Dragon Ball anime came out in 1986. Um, all, up until it completed in 1996, um, the the the, uh, the manga ran from 1984 to 1995. There were 17 movies in 10 years, um, and you know it only stopped because the the manga had stopped at that point. I mentioned before. Likewise, One Piece has had 17 films in the 23 years since it premiered. The Raymon and popular you know robot cat. Uh, manga catered towards children has had 39 films in the 40 years since the 1979 anime film started series started um, Crayon Shinchan has had 27 films in 27 years since 1992 Detective Conan has had 26 films um, since it started 24 years ago in 96 Anpan Man has had 30 mo- movies one every year since 1989 and kind of the king of them all is Pokemon so obviously um, Pokemon uh originally started as a video game series um and uh it sits on top of the most highest grossing media franchises in the world it's made 95 billion total since 1996 um you know about 1.8 billion that is you know box office there have been 23 movies literally one every year of its existence and this includes detective pikachu which came out last year this averages out to about 57 million total gross worldwide um most of it japan and you know that's not bad by any means but in the grand scheme of things you know compare that to 11.5 billion from the trading card game 18.5 18.5 billion from the video games and a whopping 64 billion from licensed merchandise. Um, in comparison, you know, for something that comes from the states, Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's had a smaller 35 billion, but of the 35 billion, 22.5 billion came from box office receipts across its 20 some odd movies. It's a comparable number to the Pokemon franchise. Only 7.2 billion came from merchandise sales. You know, this really shows just the difference in mentality of where the money is coming from from these franchises um and and so yeah that just really illustrates the point that for these shows that have you know if they have a production committee maybe they had a television anime already going pokemon's had an anime continuously since 1996 i believe they're on their 
I don't want, I don't know, 15th season or something. I, I don't even remember at this point. Um, the movie, the box office receipts is not the primary reason these movies make, make get made. I mean, sir, it's nice to get the, the revenue at the end of the day. You know, the budget for these films are somewhere in 5 to $20 million range. For a long time, the 2004 film Steam Boy was the most expensive anime film produced at $24 million. There have been a couple more, many, some, a couple more, more expensive since then, but even Spirit of the Way only cost $19 million to produce. The most recent, the two recent Dragon Ball movies, you know, both cost less than $10 million to make, um, and they each net about $30 million U.S., um, you know, and part of this is the work that, that needs to go into it. You know, if you already have an anime, um, the character design, the score, all that's already been made for the TV show, so you can kind of recycle some of that. Um, and these are the creme de la creme big franchises, either, you know, auteurs like Miyazaki um, or long-running franchises like Pokemon. Um, most budgets are probably close to the 2.5 to $5 million range, about the cost of one 12-episode season. Uh, in many cases, there'll be a modest profit, but again, the bulk of the value, I can't reiterate it enough, is not from box office receipts, but from keeping the franchise in the public's consciousness and to get them to buy the manga, BD, or other merchandise. Um, for films based on the original works, you know, these may be a little bit more reliant on box office receipts, but supplementary material still are significant. Um, Your Name, the top grossing anime film of all time worldwide, made $225 million from Japan in box office sales. Um... Uh, and almost, but it also made sixty million. That's almost a fourth, or more than a fourth, in twenty seventeen in home media sales. Um, meanwhile, in the states, it only made five million in box office sales. Um, good for the anime film, but again, this understates how much how crazy this was on the international level and how profitable this was um, for the company. Um, there are other quirks to this, of course. You know, Japan really loves their animation. Um, I think it comes from their. You know, culturally, they've always seen animation as kind of like a valid art form, not just meant for you know children's entertainment, like it has it here in the states for a long time. Um, out of, since 2000, 11 of the 27 films that have grossed over 10 billion yen have been animated. Six of those 11 have been from you know from Japan, either a Miyazaki film or a Shinkai film. Um, only one domestic anime, domestic live action film has cost that amount. Um, in 2019, top grossing film was not Avengers like it was for most of the world. It was Frozen 2. Um, Frozen 2 made 17.8 million. Avengers made 13.1. And you know, Detective Conan's film that came out that year had 13 million, so you know, right up there with Avengers. Um, and it even went on to be the Avengers. Avengers only made 55 million in Japan, whereas you know, Detective Detective Conan made 77 million. Um, so you know, given those num- the difference in numbers, five million in the states for your name versus you know two and twenty five in Japan, Japan does not care about this, the U.S. when it's making its films. It doesn't produce with the U.S. in mind. Um, you know, Weathering with You, made by the same director as Your Name, made seven point seven here in the states, one hundred fifty two in Japan. Dragon Ball Resurrection F, eight million in the states, thirty million in Japan. Um, the most recent One Piece movie made forty seven million in Japan. Less than 200,000 in these states. And the last two Detective Conan films each made $80 million in Japan and $30 million in China, by the way. Um, did not release in the states at all. Made zero from from us. Um, still pretty profitable, I'd say. Um, it's pretty safe to say that these films, that the states is an afterthought for the production committees and they don't see a lot of potential revenue in movie licensing rights abroad, meaning here in the states. Um, I've seen estimates that the licensing costs for a movie to the states go somewhere in the neighborhood for, you know, about a million or so. I wouldn't be surprised if that number has changed. Obviously, firm numbers are hard to get, but by the time an anime film has made its way to the states, you know, you can be sure that if it was that it's probably already been profitable for the production company 
committee in Japan. And so, you know, uh, they're not really concerned with how much money the the real one who cares are the, the, the distribution companies here in the States and for, to make money. Um, so, you know, talking about that for a second, um, the main players in this space, you know, there aren't a ton of them. Um, Funimation Films, who are a subsidiary of Funimation, who I mentioned earlier, they make uh, English dubs and distribute anime TV shows in general via their streaming service online. Um, Funimation is owned by Sony. They're the ones who bought over Your Name, the One Piece films, Dragon Ball films, and, you know, the most recent My Hero Academia films. Uh, G-Kids is, you know, the other big player, I'd say, in the space. Um, they're best known for taking over theatrical the theatrical distribution rights for Studio Ghibli films from Disney in 2001, and later the home release um, in 2017. Uh, since 2016, uh, they started doing annual Ghibli Fests, where they sell, you know, a portion of the Ghibli catalog, you know, over the course of a year, um, you know, a few, maybe two or three nights per year, per film uh, in a year spaced out. They've also distributed a number of other animated films, usually focusing on more auteur-driven uh, films. Um, you know, the films that from Japan are most known for, obviously, it's the Ghibli films, films by Masaki Yuasa, uh, Mamoru Hosoda, and most recently, uh, Fomare from Studio Trigger and Weathering With You by Makoto Shinkai. Um, they've also been somewhat successful with animated uh, feature Oscars. Um, they got 11 nominations across nine years, uh, most recently for Mirai, um, an anime film. And, you know, they also do other non-anime stuff, um, animated-wise as well. Um, there are a handful of other distributors. Um, I'll, I'll call out 11 arts here. Um, but generally, you know, G-Kids and Funimation Films are the two big distributors for anime films here in the States. So, you know, doing some back-of-the-table math, you know, if the license for here in the States is about, say, a million, um, based on our numbers from before, your marketing costs, you know, this isn't the same as a Marvel film. You're not trying to get widespread appeal. You're not buying TV spots. Probably focusing on niche communities, niche advertising, um, on anime websites or, you know, um, Facebook Facebook advertising and so on. Uh, Maybe, you know, in-person conventions, sponsoring conventions, Um, you know, maybe say one to two million, you know, advertising budget for a given film, uh, you're looking at, you know, two to three million break-even point. Um, of course, the math gets a little bit trickier and when, when you have other forms of revenue, right? If you're a Mason, you're looking to turn these movies into, um, these moviegoers into people su- who subscribe on your streaming service. Uh, when I went to see My Hero Academia, I got a little coupon to get one month free of the premium streaming service. Um, if you're G-Kids, you know, you can run ads for the home release of the Ghibli films or other animated films um, before uh, your in-theater events, right? So, you know, let's say opening night, you know, they usually, I've noticed, release on Wednesday. Um, they'll usually partner with Fathom Films, um, you know, that, that events company, to do one night, you know, limited engagement. Maybe they'll have a special bonus interview at the end of the film with the director or producers, so, you know, usually say about 1,000, 1,200 theaters. Um, that's what My Hero Academia was. Often, you know, let's say, you know, you get a per theater average of about, you know, 2,000 or so um, at about $15 per Fathom event ticket. You know, if you're getting maybe half of that, um, you only really need about 250, 260 people to show up to a theater, which, you know, pretty reasonable to do, especially if they sell out. Um, you know, 
that's you know twelve hundred theaters to uh, two thousand per theater average, two point four million right there at opening night alone. Um, that's why My Hero Academia was actually number one at the Wednesday box office. You know, um, with very similar numbers. Even if you're only running for another week or two um, in the same number of theaters, even if you drop down the number of theaters, you're pretty close to breaking even and you know getting some sort of box office profit. Um, if not on top of any additional revenue from other you know services you're providing. So this is why anime films, even if they rarely cross the $5 million mark or even the $3 million mark, um, and they rarely break top five or even the top 10 of the of the weekend numbers, especially, again, if the bulk of their revenue comes on you know, a Wednesday night when not many other films are have super high attendance, but the anime film anime fans are going to go out Wednesday night you know, and maybe a little bit front-loaded. Um, anime films still going to be overlooked. You know, it just so happens, I think the main takeaway is that instead of being at the starting point of distribution funnel as we are, as we're used to being here in the States, you know, entertainment is one of our biggest exports. This time we're on the receiving end of a funnel that started all the way in Japan. Um, anime films were not made for us. They've already made money by the time they come to the States. And that's fine. Uh, as long as, you know, I still get to see them, I'm happy. Uh, in any case, hopefully you're able to learn a little bit about anime and how anime films fit into the box office ecosystem here in the states um you know there's a couple more anime films planned to come out this year um the next one will be uh the sequel and some say the conclusion to the digimon series from our youth um there's a digimon movie coming out the end of march which i'm looking forward to i think digimon kuzuna adventure is the name um obviously i'd love to talk, talk about the topic more um maybe at some point in the future if i can you know put together a thorough list with all of the metrics for top performing anime films in the states um i'm pretty sure you know for a long time it was you know pokemon uh first movie was was up there before spirit of the way came along um but box office mode is being dumb so i can't do that right now um in any case let's move over and quickly go through the top five for this week so in first place, we have newcomer The Invisible Man from Blumhouse. I uh, made $28 million in 3,610 theaters for about a 7,813 per theater average in its first week. Pretty excellent. Uh, last week, I said it had an estimate of about $20 million tracking, so blew past that. Um, both what the industry was predicting and also my estimates for what the total cost would be, including advertising. So anything past this point is pretty much gravy. Uh, this really goes to say that Blumhouse knows what they're doing with horror films to make them profitable. Um, yeah, if we end up, you know, say like, uh, you know, horror film tends to drop off pretty early, but, you know, the reviews on this one have been actually pretty good, um, which for horror films, you know, hit or miss, honestly, they're usually a bit lower. So um, who knows? This could maybe hit a three, 3X multiplier. So, you know, uh, definitely see at least 50 million here, um, maybe even 75, which would be pretty pretty nuts. Um, in second place, we have Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, in its sec- third week, um, 16.2 million in 4,177 theaters, loss of 21 theaters. A 38% drop uh, for 3,839 per theater average. Um, so right now it's at $128 million domestic. So, you know, the only real benchmark I'm looking at here is will it hit that $144 million mark to beat Detective Pikachu? Pretty sure it will um, become the highest grossing uh, video game movie of all time. Um, current worldwide is at $265 million. Um, Next up is Call of the Wild, uh, 13.3 million uh, in 3,865 theaters. 
um, added 113 theaters somehow. Uh, 46% drop, uh, 3,457 per theater average uh, in its second week. Um, so it's only made $46 million domestic, which isn't great. The fact that Sonic in its third week is beating this in its second week isn't really great. Um, and, you know, reports are just, you know, going to say it's it's going to lose about $50 million total um, when it's only made $79 million worldwide. So unfortunately, this was a flop. Um, damn, CGI docs cost too much. Um, next up, in number four, uh, we kind of talked about this at length in the box office concept, so I'll try to keep this short. Uh, My Hero Academia uh, Heroes Rising uh, made $5.8 million in 1,260 theaters for 4601 per theater average in its debut week. Um, you know, this number does not include the 2.5 million it made on Wednesday or 800,000 it made on Thursday in previews with Fathom events. Um, so really it made 9.1 million to date in the States, which for fun, amazing films, second best film they've done so far, 10th best anime film in the States. This is actually the second My Hero Academia movie. The first one was, uh, Two Heroes. Um, so yeah, uh, this is definitely showing a, a bunch, um, in some theaters near me, near me here in New York. So, um, great on front of Mason for this one. Great, great performance. Um, and the anime is not bad too. Definitely check it out if you had a chance. Um, anyway, in fifth place, we have Bad Boys for Life, uh, 4.3 million, uh, in its seventh week, um, 2,708 theaters, uh, minus 264 versus last week for a 26% drop, uh, 1,606 per theater average. That's a crazy low drop, only 26%. This will stick around definitely, um, you know, it's already hit 197 million for domestics, probably definitely going to get past the, uh, the $200 million mark, and it's already hit $400 million worldwide, so props to them. Um, okay, so that's the top five. Uh, there were a couple of limited releases that were uh, came out this that came out this week. Awesome Expansions, uh, Impractical Jokers, we talked about last week, um, expanded to uh, 1,543 theaters more for 1,900 total, uh, made $3.5 million for a total of $6.6 6 million. Uh, Emma, which you know was in only in five theaters last week, went up to ninety-seven. Went in this whole ninety-two. Per theater average is a pretty pretty healthy uh, twelve thousand uh, for one point one million. Um, I thought I was going to go wide this week. Hopefully, it goes wide this week. Um, I'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, Wendy from the director of Beasts of Southern Wild, uh, which is you know uh, Wendy came from Sundance this year. Um, four theaters, six hundred thousand five hundred fifty-four per theater average for twenty-six k. Fortunately, not what you want to be for limited release. Same as Greed, which is a British international film. Four theaters, six thousand per theater average, twenty-four thousand um, dollars. Not what you want to be. Uh, the Whistlers, which is a Romanian film from two thousand nineteen, an international film. I wasn't wouldn't expect it to do super great. Um, Six thousand eight hundred per theater, three theaters, about twenty k. Um, the Burden, which is a two thousand eighteen Sundance film, had five theaters, four thousand per theater average, twenty thousand total. Nothing to write home about. Saint Francis, which was a two thousand nineteen South by Southwest film, um, film film uh, circuit darling, made fourteen point three thousand in one theater. Hmm. That's a bit high for, I guess, um, I, I probably want to be higher for a debut week, though, so probably not going to pan out, um, and, you know, being only in one theater kind of drove everyone to that theater, so, um, yeah, and then Lost in America is a documentary, documentaries never really do that great, uh, two theaters, 3399 per theater average, $6,800, um, uh, documentary from 2018 about homelessness, 
So, you know, move, looking forward to this week, uh, we have the big film, uh, probably going to be number one, is Pixar's Onward. Pixar usually has a pretty good uh, record, though. You know, in recent years, they had a, a large number, you know, uh, of sequels. You know, obviously, Toy Story 4 last year, uh, Finding Dory, Cars 2 and 3. Um, you know, Inside Out, it's really the only big one that comes to mind. Even Incredibles 2 is a sequel. I'm probably forgetting one that someone's going to yell at me about. But in any case, uh, the tracking for Pixar's Onward is $45 million. Um, okay, so, you know, Pixar movies usually about a 3-something, 4x multiplier. Um, it's probably about 180 or so. It's usually about, you know, uh, 40% domestic um so you know put out about uh let's say 450 million dollars worldwide you know maybe 500 if they're if they're lucky but you know 400 400 pretty solid um i believe had like a 200 dollar budget is the estimate so you know more than you know what bad boys for life made who's also you know in the 400 dollar range so not going to be as profitable but you know um we'll see you know i don't remember the last time picture had a film come out in march um and then, you know, counting program to that, we have The Way Back, which is a Ben Affleck film about being an alcoholic basketball coach. Um, forecasting estimates for this are not great, less than $10 million. Um, I believe that the uh, budget is, you know, what was it? Something like, oh, I want to say $19 million, something like that. Um, I don't know. I, I would not be super optimistic about this one. Um, you know, if it opens to seven million, doubles that for you know th- triple that, maybe twenty one million. Not gonna make it back. I think the advertising budget, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if counter program really works against Pixar just because you know Pixar is really a family film, and even adults really like going going to go see Pixar. Obviously, it's for kids, but yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, uh, Emma hopefully goes wide compared to last week. Um, other limited releases coming up next week. Uh, the first cow, um, is an A24 film who always makes pretty interesting films. Um, I saw the trailer for this this last week. Um, so, um, keep an eye on that one. Uh, go back to China's kind of been on my radar. Um, I believe it's getting like a gold open puss. Um, that's that group of uh, individuals who are you know helping support Asian Asian American films. This one features Anna Kana and is a co-production between China and the U.S. Um, and speaking of anime films from earlier this week, um, earlier this episode, we have Tokyo Godfather's old film uh, by Satoshi Kon. Um, I believe Fathom Events is bringing it back for a one-day event on Wednesday, so we'll see how you know that is. But you know, nothing super relevant to, to for box office wise. I just figured I'd bring it up just in the context of this episode being about anime. Um, so yeah, I'll wrap up quickly with what I've been watching. So I have another podcast called. Um, filmography in focus where I talk about films uh, the filmographies of directors complete so the first episode went up last week last Friday check that out if you want um, but the director there was Makoto Shinkai who did you know weathering with you and your name who I had mentioned earlier in this episode um, I talked about his earlier film children who lost trace who chased lost voices was the last film I needed to watch for the episode before I could produce that one um it was okay my least favorite of all of his films but um you know definitely was trying to go a little bit more ghibli um again listen to my other podcast filmography and focus if you want to hear more thoughts about that um again i i watched my hero academia on the wednesday night when it came out um pretty solid like i said it was the second movie i think uh 
I think I enjoyed the bulk of the movie of this one more because uh, the side characters got a little bit more action than they normally did in the last one. I kind of like the final scene of the of the previous one a little bit more than this one. You know, part of the things with anime films is they can't really disrupt the status quo or contradict what's happening in the manga. So, you know, the status quo was kind of restored after this one. I'll leave it at that so not to give too many spoilers. Um, Friday night, I watched Selling the Hedgehog. Pretty solid movie. I actually really enjoyed that. A lot of cool uh, um, Easter eggs to the, to, the, to the movies. Jim Carrey was great, zany, his zany self. Um, and that you know mid credit scene setting up for, for the inevitable uh, sequel, given how much money it's made. Um, definitely looking forward to that. Glad, Super glad they did the redesigns um, on this one. Um, but yeah, uh, Selling the Hedgehog, pretty solid, if you know, somewhat predictable um, plot. Um Saturday, so I watched Emma, uh, which I've mentioned a couple times already. Um, I didn't read the Jane Austen book this was based off of, but honestly, this is probably my favorite film of 2020 so far. Definitely, definitely best film that's come out, that's been released in 2020 so far, um, and probably top three of films I have watched within the year calendar year of 2020. I watched some from last year, obviously, for yet another podcast I do, the Oscar Deathless podcast. Um, in any case, yeah, go watch Emma if it goes wide. They have, I thought I wasn't going to like it at first. Like the like the situational, it's almost like a sitcom from the 1800s, but somehow that translates to the day. So yeah, just, just watch Emma. Um, and finally, um, on Sunday, I watched Birds of Prey, um, also known as Harley Quinn, um, Birds of Prey. Um, I can see what they were doing. Yeah, I can definitely see where people like the film. Um, I can also see why I didn't perform as well. Um, it's kind of phonetic all over the place, and uh, uh, the focus wasn't really like like it was. It was an interesting attempt at some like weird flashback storytelling and definitely some fourth wall breaking, a la Deadpool. But mm, yeah, I definitely hope Wonder Woman can come back and redeem the uh, DC DC uh, cinematic universe. Um, if it doesn't get rebooted between now and then. Um, in any case, that wraps up this week's watch. If you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts for me to cover, send me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Um, you can find us uh, right on uh, Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Um, if you could leave us a review of your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, super helpful, super appreciated. Um, I'll include those links in the show notes. Um, numbers used in this show come from thenumbers.org. That's the numbers with a dash between the and numbers. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Uh, this has been a Ninja Moy Media production who's provided editing and, and production services. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, go watch some movies. And- <laughs>